What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode six of the Purchase Optimized podcast. We're your hosts, Dara Denny and Savannah Sanchez. And today's episode is going to dive into media buyer mistakes. We've all made them. In fact, I've been working in this field as a media buyer now, more of a creative director type person since 2016. And I audit probably hundreds of accounts every single year. And these are the mistakes that I see brands make over and over again. I'm actually really excited to get Savannah's take on some of these as well, um, especially <laughs> for that TikTok perspective. <laughs> but the first one that I want to dive into, and this is something that we've definitely talked about before, and, and this I think is like across all platforms, but one of the biggest mistakes I see brands making is if they're using a funnel approach, like a Facebook funnel, or a TikTok ads funnel. So they're running traffic campaigns and engagement campaigns, and then running conversion campaigns off of those traffic engagement campaigns. And really just, in my opinion, trying to outsmart the algorithms in many ways, um, especially if that goal at the end of the day is sales. Um, now, I've, I've just seen this a lot, especially with new media buyers, because I feel like a lot of the content that was made in like 2018, 2019, really wanted to, um, the big fad then was like personalization. And I think that trying to create these really complex structures was a media buyer's way to add more personalization. Um, but that method is completely outdated now in 2022. And for all our accounts at Thesis, we're pretty much running on a two campaign setup, even for brands that are spending a million plus per month. And that's just prospecting and retargeting. And sometimes we don't even have retargeting. But I know Savannah, sometimes for some of your accounts and for some of your clients, you're not even having a retargeting campaign, correct? Yeah, for, for some accounts, we're seeing better performance, just having one campaign, leaving it completely open, saying, Facebook, go where you want. And I think that approach works best, like the more you're spending, because the pixel has so much signal that you don't have to feed it the inputs of like, okay, people in my target audience, like these interests or in these lookalikes, um, their automatic Facebook's algorithm is automatically going to serve the ad to people who they think is most relevant. And part of that is also going to be people who have been to the website and they'll use that as a data point of who to serve the ad to. So I completely agree. I think it it sounds really catchy as a new media buyer, like, oh, of course I want to optimize for traffic because I want more traffic to my website and then they'll convert. But what's funny about Facebook is if you tell it that you want traffic, it will get you traffic very cheaply, but it will get you trash traffic. Like it gets, it specifically gets to people who will click on your site, but will not convert. Otherwise you would just optimize for purchase and get people who would convert. Yeah, exactly. I think a common question I get a lot too, when looking at these simplified setups are around exclusions. So when you're saying that you have just like one campaign completely open, no retargeting, are you doing any type of exclusions or is it just for purchasers or is there anything else going on there instead of it being just mostly broad? Yeah, I would say excluding purchasers is the only exclusion that I have in my Facebook ad campaign. So like last 180 day purchasers mm -hmm. from the pixel. Um, and sometimes it is helpful. 
If you have another campaign, if you have certain offers or messaging that you want to give to past purchasers, that messaging is probably going to be different than someone who's never heard from your brand. So things like new product launches or like, hey, we miss you. Come back for 15% off. I always tell brands, if you have different like creative messaging, that can constitute creating a new campaign. So if you specifically want to tell your existing customers like, hey, we have our new product out, like come by and try, or we have this bundle um, versus a brand new customer doesn't care that you have a new product out or you have a new bundle. Mm-hmm. They've never heard of you. They need a more educational style video. So um, that's how I like to think about it is like new messaging equals new campaign. Oh, okay. And you would opt for that instead of just doing like a new ad set? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have any problem with doing another ad set. Um, if it's, if you're not using CBO, that is because then you can just set Mm -hmm. the budget on the ad set or audience level. Um, but I find for like visually an ads manager, I like to see different campaigns in terms of like, okay, here's my prospecting campaign, brand new customers. Here's my campaign for, um, existing customer retargeting. So visually I like seeing in a different campaign if I am going to break it out. Yeah. And the reason why I asked that is because I too sometimes like breaking that stuff out. Like I think a good example is Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Like I often mm, like totally. to just have like a standalone Black Friday, Cyber Monday campaign. And I get a lot of questions from clients and other media buyers and they're like, which one is the best? And a lot of times for these questions, I actually just think it boils down to media buyer preference. Like Mm. I personally believe that like the CBO versus ABO conversation is kind of boils down more to a media buyer preference and how you can best optimize your campaigns. Like we have a few media buyers at Thesis that only use ABO and to be honest, some like their campaigns rocket. But then mm. we have other media buyers that are also only using CBO and like to do the mins and maximums inside of the ad set and their campaigns are killing it as well. Yeah. So, like a lot of times I, it, it's, it's interesting. There are some things that I, I look at and I'm like, oh, this is a media buyer mistake, like creating a whole funnel. But then there are other like, like things like this where I'm like, oh, that's just a choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. So much of this is preference. and. I would say another mistake along those lines that I would say is not a preference, but more of a mistake is having too many ad sets and like breaking out your budget into a lot of different ad sets because then you're, you're never exiting the learning phase of getting 50 conversions per week on any ad set. So you mean the $1 ad set? I <laughs> I used to work in an agency and one of our lead media buyers there had an idea Apparently he saw it at a conference back in the day. These media buying conferences were all about these hacks. And one of them was the $1 ad set method where you would have, I think it was like one ad per ad set. Each one was set at a dollar and you, then you check 24 hours later and whichever ones are doing well, you add an extra dollar and you turn off the ones that weren't, it was so weird and they never worked. It was always so, um, like situational, like kind of like what you said, if, if you have a really good product and a good website, you can kind of put it in whatever structure you want on Facebook. Yeah. As long as you're targeting broad audiences, you have good creatives, you're optimizing for purchase and Facebook kind of is like, okay, 
I'll ignore your mistakes and I'll just optimize. So, and that's why I think sometimes Twitter tips or at conferences, some of these like hacks can be unhelpful because they're very specific. Like, oh yeah, I, I do ABO. I have 10 ad sets and I'm all optimizing for the same audience and I have one creative per ad set. So yeah, that, that worked for that one person. But my argument is always like, I think a simplified structure would also work just as well, if not better. So why not go for a more simplified approach instead of like a nuanced like nightmare of an ad account? Yeah, exactly. Like I do think that you could use a quote unquote Facebook funnel and like get great results, but they, but they could be more efficient. But then again, Mm. there are some big brands that are like, we need X amount of people coming to the website and reaching the checkout or adding to cart. And those are their KPIs, but those are all, those are also KPIs being handed down by like brand marketing people, not Mm. like performance marketing people, which is like something that I have had, have, I've had to work with quite a bit. Um, I feel like we could talk about this like nuance of like structure and using too many ad sets, like ad nauseum. And I'll tack on like one final like mistake that's in this vein, which is it is always a massive red flag to me if I jump into an ad account and I see that ultimately the focus has been on testing audiences as opposed to testing creatives. Um, for the most part, like these algorithms are just completely like broad anyways. And a lot of the levers that we used to pull on interests and even on lookalikes just aren't as effective as they used to be due to iOS 14, but also due to Facebook just saying, hey, you know what? We have to take away a lot of this interest targeting because it's um, not super ethical. <laughs> so mm. like a lot of it is broad. And I, I think the danger too of people doing super regimented um, interest in lookalike testing is that they also end up developing creatives for these audience personas and they get into this trap where they're ultimately not creating um, creative that is going to be effective for the masses, which number one is going to be the most scalable, but oftentimes um, will have the broadest appeal and like won't submit to creative fatigue as, as quickly. So yeah, like I said, I feel like we could talk a lot about structure. Um, but I want to dive into another mistake, which is um, a little bit outside of that, which is that, number one, they're not looking at the right metrics. I also see um, a lot of new media buyers, particularly, um, really worrying about CPC, CPM, and even click-through rate to some extent. And while I do track these um, as as a media buyer and as a creative director, a lot of times I'm looking at them to tell the story of like a, a much larger picture. But these are not metrics that you should be optimizing your account for. I actually remember once, um, I think it was Black Friday, Cyber Monday, 2020, I was working with a really big client. We had like a budget of, I think it was like a million dollars for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. We had to spend it. And the client kept on coming back to me and saying, hey, some of your CPMs are way too high in these certain ad sets. You need to turn them off. But we were getting the best results out of them. And I was like, no, like that it would be like, we, we can't do that. And 
you know, a lot of times CPM is really just about the market that you're advertising to. Um, and sometimes we see that when you're advertising to lookalikes or to interests, a lot of times those are the higher CPMs because you're sort of handicapping Facebook in a way. So I, I don't know, what other like metrics do you see people like attaching themselves to? I think click-through rate's another one, especially in the creative end. <laughs> Totally. I think that's one of the biggest fallacies. And I actually wrote a big article about this like in 2018, like why you should take CPC and CPM off of your like Facebook reporting dashboard. And it was really like a, it, it was a testament to my experience at an agency where I also was dealing with other media buyers that would come to me and say like, I, I have to turn this ad off because the CPC is too high. Or like you said, CPMs are through the roof, like we're never going to be profitable. But I think that they, they're they ignoring the other parts of the equation. Like you said, on Black Friday, conversion rate is going to be extremely high because you're running a sale, everyone's in the shopping mood. So while you might be paying 4X the CPM over Black Friday weekend than you would on a normal weekend, the conversion rate on your site is going to be 10 times higher or whatever it is. So I think understanding how conversion rate plays into those metrics is something that is often forgotten. So if you are getting a $5 cost per click, that can be very profitable. If you get a, if you have a high conversion rate and a high AOV, then $5 might be amazing. Um, I had a client, we were selling very expensive outdoor furniture and we also would see very expensive CPMs and CPCs, but because the purchase price is so high, then even on a smaller conversion rate, you can make that math work out. So I think that's, that is definitely often forgotten. And same with click-through rate. Like if you optimize for traffic on Facebook, you can get a 10% click-through rate. Like mm -hmm. cool. You got a bunch of clicking on your ad and no one purchasing. So click-through rate only matters if conversion rate is equally high. Um, so that's why I also preach with my creative clients, like we're going to make you some great ads, but What's their experience on their site? Like, is your site slow? What sales are you running? What's your product? Does anyone even want this? Um, the creative is only one part of the equation. You have to make it the conversion side work as well, or else what's the point of getting all this traffic to your site? Yeah. And I'd say too, something really interesting that I've seen as a trend across multiple industries is very often I will see an ad that is performing great. So getting sales, getting a great like CPA and like the math is working out on the back end, but the click through rate is low. Um, but there's, but there is a metric that I often find is a lot easier for us to optimize for that often leads to higher conversion rates. So what I've seen just to like button that up more neatly is like click through rate does not always equal higher conversion rate. But I do often see like higher hook rates equaling higher conversion rates, as long as you're not being needlessly clickbaity and you're actually fulfilling on the promise that's like coming through in that initial hook. So, you know, we don't technically optimize for hook rate, obviously, because that would just be a poor decision. But we do make a lot of creative decisions and creative iterations based off of what those high hook rates are. Um, and I think what you had said too previously leads nicely into the next mistake that I had is you're not considering your landing page or the offer or ultimately the product. Um, 
I can't tell you how many audits that I've done where like I did a simple spreadsheet that's like, okay, like here's where you're sending your traffic. By the way, collection pages do the best or hey, PDPs do the best. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that a lot of times the media buyer gets really tripped up on all the levers they can pull inside of ads manager and they completely lose sight of the things that they really can't control which are the landing page, sometimes the offer and the product ultimately. So true. I get a lot of contact form submissions and some of them that I open, the websites are just so bad. I'm like, don't think about your creatives yet. Like your header is like massive. What is up with your logo? Some weird, like different fonts going on. I can't even, I don't even know what your product is. I just have some weird, large image. I'm like, whoa, 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 let's don't even think about running a Facebook ad because this is not ready. So I think having expert outside opinions to audit your website, looking at other competitors and big people in the space as a reference point um, before you start running traffic, because then you're, you're going to get into a situation where you're like, I've tested 10 agencies and none of them have worked for me. It's like, okay, well, is it the agency? Is it Facebook? Is it TikTok? Or like, what's going on with your site? And like, I can't figure out what your product does or what, what it, I have no idea what you're selling. Um, I think people don't put themselves in like the customer's shoes of like, people don't know what you're selling when they're going to your website. Um, and so it needs to be so clear, fast, persuasive, um, you, you can't look at it inside of your shoes in terms of like the brand owner of like, I know what I'm selling. Like that's obvious. It's like, no, like for people who are just scrolling super fast on their phone, it's really not obvious. I wish that for everyone that wanted to start running paid ads, they would first consult with a CRO expert and really make sure all that is buttoned up and that they have the correct places to actually send that traffic. I actually reviewed a, um, there was a, there was a brand that reached out to me to potentially do some consulting work. And I was quickly looking over their website today and I was like, no, can't do it. Like won't touch it. Mm. Like, the website was a total mess and also like the products they were selling um it would they they were in a really competitive space and mm. it, they would not have lasted with all of the other options that are frankly out there so you know it, it's like on one hand you have to like look at your landers, look at your website, making make sure you're making the right decisions there. And then also take a step back and look at the larger market space and see how you're actually differentiating your product and your offer. And like, you know, decide if you are actually competitive for that. Because um, there's always going to be a better option, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I would say like maybe eight years ago, maybe even less, maybe five years ago, even you could have the worst website, a terrible product, some generic ad and make it work. And I think that there's a lot of those success stories flying around there, even like with drop shipping. I think that's a good prime example of like, just throw together a website, get some Alibaba product and boom, you're a millionaire. And there, you know, there's so many YouTube videos out there that talk about that. And I think people get kind of caught up in, in that hype and they don't realize like how much it's changed. Like it's really not something, even TikTok, TikTok's still new, but I would never call it like a, 
a guaranteed win. Like you still have yeah. to have a good product, a good website, all that great stuff, even though there might be lower cost of traffic there. Um, it's not something where you can kind of just throw it together, wing it and be successful. Um, it, I think e-commerce is, it's never been more difficult because you have to have such a great product and a great website and a great brand. Um, it's, it's a lot more complex. So I think people think it's going to be when they decide one day, Oh, I'm going to start, I'm going to start a new like swimwear brand. It's like, okay, well there's a thousand swimwear brands out there. (laughs) Like don't worry about CBO versus ABO or what type of UGC you should get. Like, let's figure out like, what is this brand like? Why is it differentiated? Why should people care? How are you being different in the marketplace? And how are you expressing that? Uh, I think that's the hardest part to figure out. I think sometimes brand owners can try to rush through that and then get too caught up in the nuance of like, I tried ABO and it didn't work. Or I tried this lookalike and it didn't work. It's like, well, that's that isn't your problem. Yeah, exactly. Which is why, like, I think consulting with someone who does CRO and has like a pretty like wide perspective on your industry that could save so that could save people so much money and heartache. Totally. Um, what other mistakes do you have? I have some good ones that are a bit more <laughs> a bit different than the ones that we've talked about. Yes, um, because I have managed a lot of media buyers before. So I, I know like what's look in a what to look for in a good media buyer. Like attention to detail and like going slow is so important as a media buyer. I actually just saw an ad on my TikTok feed. It, it had like seventy thousand likes, so it's clearly had a lot of ad spend or has some virality behind it. And I clicked on shop now, and it went to a broken page, like a four hundred four URL. So I'm like, oh God, some media buyer is about to get fired or something bad. So I would say a a mistake that media buyers make is when you're building ads in Facebook or TikTok, wherever you are, you can sometimes get in a trance, you're going fast, maybe you're building 20 ads and you rush and you don't double check your work. And that's where things like that can happen. You spent $10,000 on an ad over the weekend that is going to a 404 page. I've even had a media buyer at an agency I worked at, um, who worked with me um, at that agency who put the landing page as like the wrong brand, like a different brand from that agency. So all that traffic went to another brand. It was like completely different than what was on the actual video. I think it was like an energy drink video and it went to like a socks website. <laughs> so... Oh. My God, that has happened to me at my previous agency before too. Yeah. So like, like those mistakes are so common, but so preventable. Like Mm. no one, no brand is going to care if you can launch a Facebook ads campaign and new ads within five minutes. What they are going to care about is you're going to do it right. And it costs nothing to double check your own work, but I've done the agency grind for a long time and I understand that you're like checking things off for other clients. You're trying to get everything out the door. And sometimes the QA doesn't happen. QA and follow-up and constant communication and like good communication are things that cost literally nothing for you to do, but will make you an expert media buyer in the eyes of a client. Like, it just, it sounds so easy, but like, even I've made those, those mistakes 
One time I was supposed to launch an ad set for a thousand dollars and I made it for $10,000. We've all done that. Add that extra zero. (laughs) Yo, that's scary. (laughs) It happens. I think every media, everyone that makes like, I'm always like, everyone makes mistakes. You've done it. I've done it. But there, there is certain personality types I've identified in media buyers where they're type A they are detail oriented. They're organized. They probably mm-hmm. make their bed in the morning. They got their life together a bit. They're double checking the work. And then there's the ones who, you know, just are trying to get through the, through their day and the tasks as fast as possible. Um, I became a career those, director. <laughs> <laughs> it's too stressful. You know, it's, and, it, and for someone like me, like I'm one of my when I worked in an agency, one of the things that my boss used to tell me was like, your spelling and grammar like needs some improvement. Like you, because I kept sending copies. This is like five years ago. I've improved a lot since then. I used to send like the wrong, like there, their variations, like to clients. They'd be like, you spelled this wrong. And I was so embarrassed. Um, and so I, now like I have, even in this day, I still go on Grammarly to like jump, double check everything. I'm very like, hyper-focused on making sure that if I'm sending copy to a client, everything is spell-checked. So things like that can really make you an expert media buyer with, which is slowing down a bit. (laughs) Slow down a bit. I will say one of the biggest mistakes I've ever seen media buyer make just because the tea is so hot. (laughs) It's we've, we had years between this like circumstance, but um, I once saw a media buyer. Actually, I saw this twice. So also kind of hilarious. Once saw a media buyer accidentally delete all um, all campaigns and ads from an entire account. No. Oh my god. And by the way, you can't get those back. Like that that button does not exist. Hint, hint, <laughs> no, no reset button in Ads Manager. Yeah, and I I've had uh, yeah, which is why never hit the delete button. Just no. Never delete an ad, ever. There's no no reason to delete an ad, ever. Never. So, yikes. Now I know. Media buyers, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, It it can be scary. But you forget that when you're in the grind of it. And especially if you work in agency, multiple accounts, you're trying to build stuff, you're trying to get to your weekend. And that's where those things happen. It's so common. So, Avoid those media buying mistakes if you can, or at least limit the number of them. Um, and then, as I said, like as an employer, like really pay attention to like what personality type is this person. Like I'm, that's the number one thing I would look for is like how detail orientated are you? I don't care necessarily if you have like these crazy media buying ideas and mm. strategy necessarily. I'm like if you're the one building the ads, like I need. I need the basics of like, you are double checking the work and you are not Mm -hmm. the type of person to rush. Um, Like I'd rather you check it five times and take five hours than build five times ads, you know? Yeah. I would say the way that I got a lot of my first media buying jobs too was having detailed like internal processes. Like, Hey, here are Mm -hmm. the steps that I take to like creating a like media buying strategy. Right. Here are the steps that I take to QAing my own work. Here are the steps that I take to turning around a failing campaign. I, I think that a lot of it just doubles back to having really great internal processes too and being able to speak to that. 
I agree. hundred percent. Okay. One more final mistake. I want to hear one. Let's hear it. Oh, I thought you had one. (laughs) I'll do a quick one. Okay. Okay. I'm down for that. My quick one is an easy one. And it's if you're spending too much on retargeting. Mm. We see most of our clients at thesis that are doing really well tend to spend like 90 to 95% on prospecting. Um, and a lot of that is just like spend and retargeting is not incremental. Like a lot of times mm. those people are going to be converting anyways. And we find that, you know, even if we start pulling more money there, we're not necessarily going to get more conversions. You're just going to hike up your frequency and annoy like the shit out of everyone on the other side of that retargeting campaign. Um, so like 90, 90, 10, 95, 5% rule is like something that is just like really easy for me to like hop in any ad account and like discover within seconds. A hundred percent. And I think especially like knowing how the agency side works when I worked in agency, that's kind of like an an agency trick is like spending Mm. too much on retargeting, especially if they're billing off of ad spend, then they'd be like, our account's at a three X ROAS. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, you're spending 80% of your budget on retargeting. Of course you're at a three X, but like you said, as you increase the retargeting spend, doesn't increase your revenue. And if you pull it back, you get the same revenue and you're more profitable. So that, that's one that I think is a really good one and a, a little sneaky way. I would say speaking of ROAS, um, I would say not validating your ROAS through like outside mm-hmm. platforms. I think whatever ROAS is in Facebook is that's, it's not, doesn't really mean anything. I would say like, I only look at ROAS in Facebook or TikTok to compare other ads against like, okay, this mm-hmm. one has a one, this one has a 1.5. So it's more to look at the different ad creatives and see how they're performing against each other. But I don't take that as like, like most of my ad accounts nowadays after iOS 14, like we might see the average ROAS is like a 1.5 X in prospecting. Mm. And that's like considered good, even though like our outside attribution platforms, what we're seeing like on the site-wide ROAS is actually like at a three X every day. So especially now taking the ROAS and platform with a huge grain of salt and not thinking, not, not thinking that you're doing worse than you actually are based off of that ROAS. Cause I see people kill ads like, Oh, mm. this is that like a one, a 0.8, like we're losing money. I'm like, no, that's just like Facebook's very limited data. That they're able to tell you because yeah. they're only able to collect customer data on a very small set subset of people. Now, like this ad isn't actually a 0.8. So that's my quick fire tip. Yeah. The need for an alternative attribution platform is a hot button topic, but it is incredibly necessary. Just pick one. Pick (laughs) the one you're going to use. Love that. pick one. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Savannah. And thank you for everyone for listening to this episode of the Purchase Optimized podcast. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming service you have. Um, We really love having these conversations and um, having you guys listen in. So um, be sure to add us on Twitter, too, if you uh, guys have a topic you'd like us to cover next time. And we'll see you next week.